welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 1st of May 2011, entitled The Story of Shammah, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Here's Brother Michael Schmidt. Well, it doesn't seem so long ago that I was here last for the youth conference here, um, but it's been almost almost two, two months already. Um, just like to share first a few things that have been happening and um, how I see things that are coming up in the future. Um, yeah, I'm coming towards the end of my second year at the uh, Bible School of New Tribes Mission. And um, yeah, we'll be finishing in July. And um, in June, we have a five-week program, which is going to be a bit different than uh, usual. We will be putting into practice a lot of the things that we've been learning in the classroom. And um, in order to do so, we will be living in tents for five weeks and we won't have any toilets or proper toilets, uh, just, um, yeah, something different. And and we won't have any proper showers either. And um, we won't have any, hardly, we won't have any electricity other than for our laptops and the work we need to do on that. We won't have any internet, we won't have any telephones, we won't have any uh, outside contact, um, except for maybe once a week we can receive and send mail. Um, but the purpose for that time will be also, for one thing, to, to see how we can live in very basic living conditions, but what we, what we will be doing during the day is also uh, learning a language. Um, a foreign language that we don't know yet what it's going to be, but there will be somebody coming and uh, speaking this language, and uh, it won't be like a classroom setting where this person comes and gives us all the vocabulary and all the grammar rules and tells us how we can learn it, but it will be just somebody who will be speaking, and uh, we will have to listen to this person and have to write down uh, what this person is saying as in phonetic uh, characters. And uh, then we have to, like by pointing at different things, finding out what he says and um, and then trying to figure out what the grammar rules are, how the language is made up. And um, so quite challenging, but also, um, yeah, something that is necessary if you go to a place where, yeah, nobody else has really been before or where, where there aren't, they don't, may, they may not even have a written language themselves. and. Um, so that will be five weeks in uh, starting in June, and uh, then at end of July, I will finish my training there, and uh, I will be going to uh, the USA and to Mexico. First, I'll be going to a conference, missions conference in the USA uh, with a mission organization called Pioneers, and uh, then I will be going down to Mexico to visit one of uh, the missionary teams that is working there, and to get to know the work that they're doing to see um, what it is like and to see if this may be the place where God wants me to be in the future. And so I'd greatly value uh, your prayers um, for that. Uh, and then after that, I will uh, return uh, to England and to do my last year of training at the NTM school in linguistics. So that will be just a focus on, on that language aspect. Um, so that's as far as I know and what happens after that, then God knows, but he's been leading me step by step. 
and uh, it's exciting to to see how God does lead and um, what what else awaits me. And it's good that we don't always know the future and what comes in the future. Um, so, yeah, before uh, I share with you from God's word, we're a small crowd tonight, but um, it's not the smallest crowd I've uh, spoken to. Um, I remember one time in my home church, um, I was supposed to preach that Sunday. So I came with my mother and uh, then the person who was leading the service was there and the translator was there and that was everybody. So um, there was the person leading the service, the preacher, the translator and my mother, the audience. And um, well, then the, trans the translator was not needed then. So, uh, <laughs> so I had three people uh, listening to my sermon, but it's a real joy uh, and honor to be with you, no matter what size, no matter, no matter how many people are here tonight. And um, um, yeah, I have kept my sermon title and um, passage scripture passage a secret for a reason, because I, I would like to, um, yeah, I'll explain that later. First of all, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, if you think of Bible heroes, heroes in the Bible, people who have done great things, who may be your personal heroes, and maybe in particular thinking of heroes in the area of military and battles and fights, um, who comes to your mind, or who, who would be some of your heroes? David, Joshua, Gideon, yeah. There's many um, famous heroes of the Bible. And uh, tonight I would like to speak also about one of these heroes, and I believe he may be probably greater than any of those, those that we've mentioned. And um, it will be my guess that probably Possibly, nobody here will be able to tell me who he was. And uh, it's a man by the name of Shama. So, can anybody tell me about Shama? <laughs> so, he is only mentioned once in the Bible. And there's two verses dedicated to his story. And uh, we find that in Second uh, Samuel 23 and verses 11 and 12, and that will be our text for uh, the message today. Second Samuel 23, 11 to 12. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. I know we've already prayed before I came up, but I would just like to take a few moments to uh, come to the Lord in prayer again. Dear Heavenly Father, it is uh, in some ways humbling to stand here and to preach your word. Um, great eternal truths about you and uh, realizing that I am just a man, realizing that I also have my own struggles and I am not a great speaker in any way, but I realize that it is not about being 
a powerful person in any way, but tonight we're looking at your word that is powerful and you and your Holy Spirit are powerful to, to use this. And I pray that, yeah, he would be among us tonight and he would be changing us. He would be op opening our eyes to see these important eternal truths and uh, help us for these few moments to let go and, and forget anything that would distract us, anything of um, our affairs in this life that are just for a moment and uh, help us to see clearly um, yeah, these important truths in light of eternity and, and how much we need to build on the truth of your word. I pray that um, you would give me the right words to say and um, yeah, that it would not be me speaking a good message or telling a nice story, but that would be your Holy Spirit convicting us and uh, opening our eyes to, to your truth and changing us and encouraging us in our walk with you. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So with this text, um, I would like to do a few things. First of all, I would like to just have a look at the story as such, what is happening here, um, what is this, what's going on. Um, then I would like to do a little keyword uh, study, which will be maybe a bit more unusual. And um, then I would like to look at some principles also from the New Testament um, as to what I'm speaking about. Um, so when we look at this story here, we see I've, I have a heading here. It says a hopeless situation. Um, we see first we see two camps. We see on the one side we see the Philistines, on the other side we see the Israelites. And uh, when we look at the Philistines, it says they were gathered together into a troop, and uh, we see they're posing a threat uh, to the Israelites. And we know from the Bible. Um, that the Philistines were the greatest enemy of the people of God. And um, constantly, um, yeah, in war, war, war with them. And um, they are here now posing a threat to these Israelites who are there. And it says they're gathered together into a troop. They maybe, if we picture in our mind the scenario, we, we, we see there's a ground full of lentils. There's Israelites in this ground and uh, then the Philistines gather. And maybe at first it was just one or two, maybe just a few Philistines, and then they became a bit more, and, uh, and they became more and more and more. And um, I, I read somewhere a troop could be so, somewhere between 300 and 800 people. And um, so they're, the Philistines on the one hand are becoming more and more and more, and they're posing a threat. And not only are they posing a threat, but um, they are also attacking. And, um, and we can also see that also in, in our Christian lives as who is our greatest enemy. And um, of course, Satan is, and he is also posing a threat to us, and he is also attacking us, and he wants to destroy us. And uh, so here we have the Philistines, they're posing a threat to the Israelites, and they're attacking the Israelites, even though it does not say that directly in the text, that the Philistines attacked them. But it says 
about Shammah that he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. So he did not move from his position in the midst of the ground to go out and attack them, but he stayed where he was and he killed them. He had to defend, um, but it was not him going out looking for a battle. It was not him wanting to run after the Philistines and, and seeking seeking a fight. And uh, so that is, I think, also in our lives as Christians, we do not desire to have a fight with Satan. We don't want to have a battle with Satan. We want to be left in peace and quiet. And um, the truth is, though, that we, we need to fight um, because Satan is attacking us. And um, so that's on, the, that's on the one hand the Philistines who are becoming more and more and more opposing a threat and are attacking the Israelites. On the other side, we have the Israelites. They're all in, in this field, and um, there we see the contrary. On the one side, Philistines become more and more. The Israelites become less and less. Um, it says the people fled from the Philistines. And um, maybe at first they were in a clear majority. They, they knew there's just a few Philistines there. We don't have to worry. Um, we can beat them anytime. And, but maybe there were a few people there who, who thought, yeah, of course, if, if we had to fight, we would win. But I don't really feel like fighting. I'm, I just can't be bothered. I've had enough fights in my life. And I'll just, just in case something develops here, I'll just quickly get out of here. And um, so a few people left. And then as a few people left, then the odds became a lot closer. And... Um, then maybe people started becoming more fearful and the, and people started leaving um, because they were afraid I could die in this fight. This, this is, could be a very hard fight. And um, then there were those people maybe who were very courageous and uh, they were not afraid of the Philistines. At any time they would have given their life, they would have fought as hard as they could against the Philistines. But what did they see? They saw their own people, one by one, going away, running away. And maybe for that reason they thought, it's not worth it, I'll just go with them. Even though I would not be afraid of fighting, but why are they leaving me? I mean, if they were here, then I would fight, but now my closest friends are leaving me. And, uh, and so all of these Israelites, they leave. And uh, what is amazing, there's only one person that remains in that in the field in the ground full of lentils, and um, I've seen, I've experienced in my own uh, home church how difficult and how hard that can be to see people leave. Um, my home church is was maybe maybe around. I don't know how many members you have here in Bethel. Um, but our church maybe has some 30 members or so, and, uh, and then maybe up to 50 on a Sunday. And, um, but over the years, we've seen people leave, um, including from the leadership. And uh, it has been very, very discouraging for the church as a whole. And um, many meetings were just church business meetings were about the future of the church. And do we have a future? Can we continue? And um, and then we had some resolve. Yes, we will continue, and we will we will do this. We are together. We are one. And then shortly after that, somebody else of that group leaves, and 
it is a struggle and it seems to be a vicious circle because you want to stop it but one person leaves then more people become discouraged and more people leave and then when they leave then others become discouraged and they leave and uh, so how how do you stop this and um, I hope that maybe we will also learn a bit um, some lessons as to what can be done against um, this kind of discouragement and so we have the Philistines who are becoming more and more, the Israelites are becoming fewer and fewer. And in the middle, we have something that is between them. We have a reason that they're fighting about. There's an issue, there's a cause. And um, before we look at what it is, um, I'd like to say that there are some things that are certainly not worth fighting for in life. There are things that we must fight for, but there's some things that are not worth fighting for. Um, I'd like to give an example. When I was in class uh, a few months ago, maybe, and uh, I was listening to the teacher, it was a very interesting class, and, um, and then out of the blue, the teacher accused me of sleeping in class. And I know I was not sleeping, but I may have been looking like I was sleeping, but <laughs> I was not sleeping. I was very shocked uh, to hear her say that because I could have repeated what she said and told exactly that I had been paying attention and listening. And I was actually wanting to hear her carry on and, and uh, I was really interested in what she was saying. But she said something like, Michael, you know, or in front of the whole class, you know, and, and uh, I had to decide now, am I going to say I was not sleeping or how am I going to do, do this or I'm going to defend myself? And I thought, well, if I'm going to say I was not sleeping or anything like that, the next thing that's going to happen is the class is going to start laughing and they're going to be talking about whether I was sleeping or not. And um, I just thought, I'll just let it go because I really want her to continue and I'm interested in what she wants to say. And so I just said, okay. And, uh, and I left it at that. And, um, and so there are some things in our lives that, we, that are not worth fighting about. Um, now, what about here in this situation? What are they fighting about? We read in, uh, in verse 11, it says, there was a piece of ground full of lentils. It almost uh, sounds ridiculous when we consider that there was just one person standing in the ground full of lentils, and there was a troop of Philistines attacking it and wanting to take this ground. I think almost every person would just run for it and say, no, thank you. This is not worth it. Uh, let them have the ground. Let them have all the ground, whatever they want. Um, I'm just going to save, run from here and save my life. And um, it seems so insignificant. So, no, really, this is not worth fighting for. Um, but it probably was something that was worth fighting for. And um, this, this ground full of lentils could have been something that the people depended on for their food, for their nourishment, that they needed this to survive. And, um, and that was the reason Shama said, I must stay here, I must defend this, I must not let this go. This is very important to keep. And so there are things in our lives that we must fight for, that are vitally important for our lives. And um, I would just like to Submit to you that 
this church here is one of these things. Um, it is worth you fighting for this church, putting all your effort, all your energies into what this church is doing. Um, it is important because there are unbelievers out there who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear of Jesus Christ. And I know that there are some in this church even who without this church would still be lost today. And um, so we can thank God for this church and we can, we can um, put in our efforts so that other people through this church can come to know our Savior. But it's not only important for other people, for the lost people. This church is also important for you. It's important that you have a place where you can grow and um, be encouraged in God's word and uh, have fellowship with other believers. It is something you really need in, in your Christian life. And so it is worth fighting for. That's uh, just a quick look at, at the story and what's happening. And uh, I now like to uh, narrow down to one key word of this text. And uh, I wonder if you might be able to guess what that word is. Just shout it out, or if you have any ideas, any thoughts. Defended? Stood? Um, stand? It's, um, you're very warm. Um, but if I'm honest, I told you this was going to be a bit more unusual word study. And uh, the reason is that the word we will be studying and looking at, it's not actually in this text. So you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance of, uh, of, of shouting out the right name. But, but in another sense, the word is in the text. And I, I don't do this for nothing, for just to be stupid. But um, the word, the key word of this text, which you won't be able to find in your Bibles, but it is endurance. Endurance. And um, where do I see this word? And the word actually it is in there, but it's, you don't see it like at a first glance. And some of you shouted out or said out uh, something, the, the right word that I was looking at, and it is the word uh, stand or he stood. And that word he, in the Hebrew is yatsap, and it means to station oneself, to take one's stand, to place anything so as to stay or to remain. And when we look in the New Testament at the equivalent word, um, we have a word in the Greek language, which is meno. And meno means to abide or to remain. And um, there's a little word, in the, or a little prefix in the Greek language, hupo, which means under. And if you add those two together, hupo, meno, then that word means to abide under or to remain behind. And hupomeno, it's the noun form of that verb. The hupomone, that means endurance or patience. Uh, the King James translates that word mostly as patience, but the meaning is, is uh, means like endurance. Um, so, and what I would like to do is to look at some principles from the New Testament as to how we can endure um, as a church, but also, more importantly, I think, in your personal lives, because the church is made out of individuals, individual members of the body, and it's important that every individual member of this church endures and um, 
So I have two passages in the New Testament I would like to consider and where I see similar principles. And uh, the first one is Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And the second one is 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. And for we will be looking a lot at these two passages. So if you want to keep uh, a marker in, one, in those places, um, you can do that. So first of all, Hebrews 12 and 1 to 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. There's that word, hupomone. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Again, that word, endure. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And we'll look at the other passage in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Um, now, to be uh, clear in what I'm um, saying here, here in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, we also find the word endure. But um, if we look in the Greek, it's a different uh, Greek word. It's not the same one, but it is still a word that also has the meaning of endurance. So um, I see we can we can look at those two passages in the same light. Um, so how are you going to endure? How are you going to make sure that you don't give up, that you don't waste your life, and that you don't make a shipwreck of your faith? And I see in these two passages three principles. Um, the first one is separate yourself from anything that would hinder your ministry and walk with the Lord. Um, and what is that? Okay, of course, uh, Hebrews 12. Let's have a look at that again. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The first thing and the most obvious thing that you must separate yourself from to, in order to endure is sin. And... Uh, Maybe you're thinking, well, I did that when I was a Christian. When I became a Christian, that was the time when I repented of my sins. That was the time when I turned away from my sins. Um, but now I'm a Christian. Surely I don't have to do that again. Um, but in, in, in truth, repentance is something we need to do daily because we still sin, we still do wrong and uh, disobey God, and we must turn away from that on a daily basis. And... Um, these words in Hebrews, let us lay aside the sin, they're also written to Christians. They're not primarily addressed to unbelievers. Those are words for Christians. Those are words for people like us. We need to lay aside the sin. But it says also, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. So there are things that we must lay aside that are not necessarily sin, but we are still told to lay them aside because they are a weight they wear us down, they hinder us in our race, and they keep us from enduring. 
And um, we see that principle also in the passage in 2 Timothy uh, 2.4 where it talks about the soldier and it says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. The soldier does not concern himself with everything um, of this life. Those are things that hinder him from, be, from fulfilling his task, from being the person he is called to be. And uh, what could these things be that are not sin, but that wear us, weigh us down and that keep us from enduring and that things that we must lay aside, what could they be? And I think we could easily spot them when we think of our use of our time and our use of our money. Um, when we think about time, how much time do you spend on movies, on entertainment, on holidays, on things that give you personal pleasure? And how much time compared to that do you spend in God's word and in prayer? And um, if we consider those two things, we know what is more important, but how much time do we spend for either of those things. And uh, maybe we need to make some corrections and we need to lay aside some of those things that are not so important, that don't have eternal value. Um, television, for example. Um, there are bad things on television, but there are many things that are not bad. There's nothing wrong with them at all. But television can take in a lot of your time if you're not careful. and even though it may not be necessarily sinful or bad, some of the things, but many of the things are just so empty and meaningless. And, and if you feed your mind on those things constantly, then there is, it's harder for God's Word really to have an effect on your life if, you are, if your mind is preoccupied with things that don't matter anything. Um, I'm, I, I'm thankful I don't have television there in, in the Bible school. Um, the last time I watched television, okay, that was the last time I watched television was the royal wedding, but before that um, was also actually shortly before I came here um, was before I came to the youth conference. I was had a week off and I was with my relatives in Somerset, and uh, they have a television they were watching and. We're looking at the news, and uh, the top headline in the news was that Justin Bieber has a new haircut. And uh, what do you think about that? And uh, is it good or bad? Or, um, yeah, are, are you disappointed? And um, that was the top headline in the news. Um, that That is of absolutely no value, no significance whatsoever. But that is what television constantly pours forth and, and, and um, yeah, informs us about and makes us think about things that are of no value. And the other area we can look at is our use of money. Again, we can ask similar questions. How much money do you spend on entertainment, on toys, on gadgets, on clothes, on anything that, yeah, that is, you, you enjoy? And how much money, do you, in comparison, do you spend for things of eternal value? And maybe you think, well, I don't have enough money to give to missions to the church. Um, I can't afford to do that. 
If I asked you, do you have enough money to buy a donut? I'm assuming everybody here would say, yes, I have, I have that much money. Um, and the reason I uh, use this example of a donut is I heard a story of uh, George Verver, who's the founder of Operation Mobilization. And he said, I love coming to London, and I know there's this shop where they sell these excellent donuts. And um, I love these donuts. And uh, there's maybe just a pound or a pound 50, I don't know what the price was, but something like that. And then he said, but I know how to resist the temptation to buy those donuts. And that is, I, I call to mind, I remember that one pound 50 or whatever the price was, will pay for four Bibles in India. Now, what is more important? To have a donut that you swallow and gobble up and it's gone in, in two minutes, or that four people can receive God's word in their language. And um, we constantly make choices like that. Um, little things that maybe add up and uh, we don't realize that many of those things, if we, we, could, we can invest in eternity and uh, even if we have little money, one pound fifty, that can make a difference in the lives of four people. And um, so how do you use your money? And maybe if you look at how you use it, you will see there are some things I must lay aside because they're weighing me down the race. They're not, they may be not sin, it's not sin to eat a donut, but um, there are more important things. I can use my money for more valuable things, things that have eternal value. Shama, he also, in a sense, separated himself um, from what? From his, from people that would maybe weigh him, that would discourage him, that abandoned him. In a sense, it was them that separated themselves from him, but they all went together away and he separated himself by remaining behind. And uh, he laid aside the security and comfort of his home and he persevered. And what is holding you back or weighing you down or distracting you from enduring? Is it sin in your life? Is it people who discourage you? Is it worldly pleasures, the affairs of this life? If you want to endure, the first thing you must do is you must separate yourself of some things. That's the first thing. The second thing, principle that I see is you must fight. And uh, when we look at the story of Shama, we see a man who on this day had the fight of his life. We maybe think David was a great hero. But what David did on the day when he fought against Goliath was not that hard compared to what Shammah did. David was standing far away, flung a stone at the giant, the giant was dead, battle was over. Shammah was left alone, had to fight single-handedly against 300 to 800 men. And uh, he did that. And uh, but he had to fight, he had to give everything. Um, and if you don't fight, then you will lose this battle because the enemy is fighting, he is attacking. And if you don't defend yourself and fight against him, then he, he will win the victory against you. And we know this life is, is a war. The Bible tells us in our side, 
the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and we we must um not we must be engaged in this warfare romans 8 13 says if ye live after the flesh ye shall die but if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall live john owen one of the puritans he wrote a book on this one verse it's called the mortification of sin and i can recommend it. it's a very practical book as to how to deal with sin in your life how to fight against it and win the victory over it and one thing he's famous for saying is be killing sin or it will be killing you and we see this picture also in these two passages in the new testament in second uh, timothy 2 we have the picture of a soldier again that's what the soldier is about his job description is to fight and it says he warreth and um in hebrews 12 we also see somebody who's fighting but we see a picture of an athlete and uh, he is in many ways very similar to a soldier he keeps himself fit he is careful as to what he eats and um, he trains hard he practices and uh, and then on the day when it counts he gives everything and uh, so he is also fighting, but just maybe not with weapons, but in another way. And our fight, your fight, it starts every every day in the first thing in the morning. Um, how do you start your day? Do you start it with God? Do you spend time with him in his word and in prayer? Or maybe you think i don't have time for that my schedule is so busy i need to rush off well do you have time for breakfast and um if you do then you, you also have time for reading god's word and you should know that it is more important for you to read god's word and spend time with him in the morning than have breakfast because you can live without having breakfast every morning but you cannot live every day as a christian without time in god's word and in prayer, maybe you've, your prayer life has come to the point where you don't receive answers to prayer and you've given up. You don't think it's worth spending time in that because you don't see much effect, much, much happening. And I'd just like to read a quote here from a man who I believe was a missionary to China. His name is James Fraser. And he said this about prayer. We must be prepared for serious warfare and having done all to stand, we must fight through and then stand victorious on the battlefield. Is not this a secret of many unanswered prayers that they are not fought through? If the result is not seen as soon as expected, Christians are apt to lose heart. And if it is still longer delayed to abandon it altogether, you know the name they give to places in England where the building or whatever it is is abandoned where when only half of it is completed so-and-so's folly i wonder whether some of our prayers do not deserve the same stigma we must count the cost before praying the prayer of faith we must be willing to pay the price we must mean business we must set ourselves to see things through prayer is something also we must actively fight in and uh continue in and um it is not always easy it is 
it is difficult, but we must stay at it and keep praying that God will help us. And um, uh, John Piper says, you cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. Um, when you know, when you realize that your life as a Christian is war, it's about war, then that will drive you to, to prayer. You will cry out to God, help me, I need you, I can't do this on my own. I need to have the victory and I can only do it with your help. And um, so when we realize that this life is war, then we will also be praying uh, with more earnestness. And um, so first of all, separate yourself from things that hinder your ministry and walk with the Lord. Secondly, fight. And thirdly, have faith. Look to Jesus and place your faith and hope in him. And uh, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is where you must start. Because if you've not done this, you've not even entered the race. You've not even crossed the starting line, and you'll never reach the finish line. Um, so you must place your faith in Jesus Christ. But also, this is a message for those of us who know Jesus. We must continue to look to him and place our faith in him. Um, Let's read those verses in Hebrews 12, um, 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So to endure, you must have faith. And um, looking unto Jesus, it says here. But how does that help you? When you look to Jesus, how does it help you to endure? And um, the first thing I wrote down very quickly was, Jesus endured much more than you will ever have to endure. And he knows all your weaknesses, all your struggles. And um, that will help you. And that's true. But I don't think that is the point or the most important thing. Because... There are many people in this life who have endured more than I have, have had more struggles, who have suffered more. So if that were the case, we could look to, I don't know, the Jews in the Second World War, or we could look to people who have terrible diseases. We could look at the, the children who are starving in Africa. Um, no, but we are called to look to Jesus. And it's not just because he... It says, of course, looking, it says here, he endured, but there's something else mentioned here also um, that I think is even more important, and that is the key to help us endure, and that is the cross. It says that Jesus Christ endured the cross, and when we look to Jesus Christ and look to the cross, we realize that what he did on the cross, that we were crucified with him, and... Um, his death on the cross for our sins, in that we are, we are united to him, and in that he won the victory over sin and over death. And um, so we, when we are united with Christ, we can have that victory also. And uh, so it's the cross that gives us the power to live the Christian life as we should. We can't do it in our old nature, the way we were, but only through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and the change he has given to us in our lives do we have the power and the strength to endure and carry on?
2 Timothy 2.4 also has this idea of enduring and of a person who places his faith in somebody or who looks to somebody. There it says about the soldier that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So the soldier, his mindset is, I want to please this person who is above me, the person who has chosen me to be a soldier. He is looking to his general or whoever that is, and he wants to please him. And in order for you to please God, you must have faith. That's what Hebrews 11.6 tells us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And what about Shama? in uh, what we are reading about? Did he have faith in God, or was he just crazy, or was he just lucky? And I think it's very obvious that a crazy person could not have, have won that victory, and you can't even be that lucky to, to uh, win such a victory, but that is only possible if God is on your side and you are trusting in him. And uh, as I was reading later also, I found a verse that combines these two passages that we're reading about, the athlete in Hebrews and the, the soldier in Timothy, and how these two parts are really about having faith. And it's the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7, where it says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. If we look at the story of Shammah, we see a hero. But who is the hero? The hero of the story actually is not Shama. It is God. It is the story of what God has done. Look again or listen to Second Samuel twenty-three, twelve, where it says, But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. That's talking about Shama. What he did, he stood in the midst of the ground, he defended it, he slew the Philistines. That's something that he personally did. So we could call him a hero. But what does it say after that? But the Lord wrought a great victory. It does not say Shammah wrought a great victory. It was the Lord who wrought a great victory. Now there will be trials and struggles and fights in your life if you're a Christian. But with the help of God, they won't destroy you or harm you, but they'll strengthen you and give you the power to endure and to finish your race. I don't know. Maybe, how many, how many people, has anybody heard of a person by the name of Derek Redmond? That ring a bell? You have, yeah? So, you Andy, or? No. Um, who was Derek Redmond? He was a runner. 1992, Olympics in Barcelona uh, for Great Britain. And uh, he was one of the favorites in the 400 meters. And uh, I'm sure I know why. Peter remembers him um, because there was a race in Barcelona that he was running as one of the favorites and everybody started running but in the first half of the race he, he, uh, he what, the, um, tore, he, well he had some, he tore some, something and uh, he fell on the ground and you see the pictures on television He's falling to the ground. You see the other athletes just whizzing past him and going through the finish line. And he is lying on the ground. But then there are people, stretcher bearers, wardens, coming towards him to get him off the track. And he sees that. 
and he realized I have a choice to make. If, if I wait any longer here, this is going to be me out of the race and it's going to be over. And uh, before these people arrived, he got up and he hobbled along like this, all around the track, very slowly and painfully. And as he came around the bend, the final bend, and a man came out from the crowds and he fought off security and he ran to Derek Redmond and that man was his father. And his father said to him, you don't have to do this. And uh, Derek said, yes, I must. And uh, then his father said, then we're going to do this together. And he took him under his arm and they walked together the rest of the stretch to the finish line. Um, Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The truth is that every person in this world falls. Everybody fails and sins and makes mistakes. But there's a big difference between the just, those who are Christians, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and those who don't. The just man falleth seven times and he rises up again. But the wicked, they fall and they stay on the ground. And um, John Calvin has written a book and in that he, he says, perfection must be the final mark at which we aim and the goal for which we strive. That's a high goal, perfection. And um, that, but that's something that Jesus Christ said, be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But how are we supposed to do that? How can we ever live like that? And um, he realized very quickly that that is not the life of a Christian. That's not what a life of a Christian looks like today in this world. There's no Christian who is perfect. And he says, no one in this earthly prison of the body has sufficient strength of his own to press forward with a due degree of watchfulness and the great majority of Christians are kept down with such great weakness that they stagger and halt and even creep on the ground and so make very slight advances. The picture he gives of a Christian is not very pretty. It's, a, it's a, somebody who is just creeping along the ground and struggling and um, not looking very successful or great. But then he says this, But let everyone proceed according to his given ability and continue the journey he has begun. Let us not cease to do the utmost that we may incessantly go forward in the way of the Lord and let us not despair because of the smallness of our accomplishment. Though we fall short, our labor is not lost if this day surpasses the preceding one. If we think back to that race of Derek Redmond, people who saw that race, they don't remember, you possibly don't remember anymore who won that race, who came second, who came third. But they remember what he did, how he got up and how he finished his race. See, the most important thing is not whether we finish first or second or third. It's not even important, most important thing, how fast we are running how, how good we are looking, how, um, yeah, 
the most important thing is that we are advancing and going forward and that we finish the race. And uh, I mentioned earlier, I made reference to my church and to the struggles we've seen and um, the difficulties we've had. And uh, I just want to testify also to God's goodness and to God's faithfulness to our church. Um, from the outside, to people from the outside, our church may not look like much of a church. It may, may look, yeah, I don't know, very disorganized, or people might, might laugh at the church, might scorn at the church, might think this is, this is not a great church. And, um, and yet, we have seen God being faithful to us. And even though we are struggling, we have hard times. And we have come to points where we thought it's over, we can't continue anymore. What are we going to do? Every time, God has been faithful and he's helped us carry on. And um, we came to a point where we, just last summer, we had some leaders in the church and all of a sudden, well, the leader left, two leaders stepped down, and we had no leaders, no leadership whatsoever in the church. And that was the first time when I also thought, this is over. There's no more future. The church can't survive without a leader. Um, and um, But we were praying to God that he would help us. And, and God graciously, he gave us four leaders. And... Uh, the work is continuing and it's still a struggle and it's still difficult, but we know that God is there with us and helping us. So what about your own race? Are you running? Can you say the following with the Apostle Paul? Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I have the same message, really, for Christians and for non-Christians today. Place your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sin and those things which would distract you from Christ and fight with all your might to know him more and more and then see him bring you safely across the finish line. Jesus Christ is the only one who can help you to endure until the end. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words from yeah, from your word, and you see our weaknesses and our struggles and difficulties, and uh, we also recognize how much we need you to help us and to strengthen us and to keep us going, and uh, I pray that we would let go of those things that weigh us down, let go of things that hinder us in our race and in our fight, and that we would wholeheartedly look to you 
and yeah may jesus christ and his word and eternity be what is the first thing on our minds when we walk about our daily lives in jesus name we pray amen Thank you.